Ekaramila Maki, Mr. Mayor, Ambassador, Consul General, Secretary General, above all, families from the extended Irish family of Maniola, I'm so pleased to be here. Maybe if I might begin because it is appropriate, because you have been singing the Irish National Anthem, Tregoilga, in Irish, that I might just allow me to say just a few words first in our own 5,000-year-old language. What I have just said is that may I thank you on behalf of myself and my wife and all those who are travelling with me for that very Irish welcome. And as I have just said in our own language, which was the language of many of the people who immigrated from Ireland uh, to the United States, that really the idea of company and the idea of hospitality is something that is central to the Irish experience. I'm accompanied here today, of course, as well by representing the Irish government, by the minister with responsibility for the diaspora, and I'm very grateful for that can. I think, uh, uh, as well, I'm I looking down at this room here, I, 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 I think, may I say, first of all, that this is so important uh, to Sabine and I, is that whenever we have been on trips to different parts so since I, uh, I became uh, president of Ireland, it has always been important to meet the Irish community. We've met them in strange, in different places. I've met them in Coventry in England, and I've met them in Perth in Australia, and in different places. But as I look at this group and I see people of all ages and generations, I want to thank you for turning out in such numbers to meet the ninth president of Ireland. I think uh, something else occurs to me about it. I'm from a family of four in County Clare myself, and half my family immigrated to Manchester in the 1950, at the end of just about 1959. Between 1955 and 1960, something like a quarter of a million Irish people left Ireland, about 50,000 a year. They went mostly to England. But I often think about this in many ways, so therefore I have nephews and nieces and grandnephews and grandnieces and people who have married into other communities in England and elsewhere. And I think we have always in Ireland uh, been a migrant people, but I often think it is so important for the President of Ireland to always define the Irish family in terms of the full stretch of where it is spread across this planet. And I think that I should tell you as well that um, uh, I, I have, as the Consul General has just said, uh, been at the United Nations uh, during the week. I think that that meeting of the General Assembly was a terribly important one because it has been concentrating on the consequences of something that affects us all and future generations, no matter where we are on this planet, and that is the consequences of climate change. And also <coughs> the invitation to all of us uh, to change the way we live and to consume so that we might, in fact, achieve sustainability. And I'm very pleased as President of Ireland that Ireland is playing such an active role in the United Nations. 
In a way, there is no such thing as a small country. We shouldn't use that phrase. Because in a way, there are countries with, with smaller populations and larger populations. But it's very, very important, I think, that the voices of all the countries be involved, uh, be involved in, in, in these great issues that were decided upon in 2015, responding to climate change, and also in, in relation to sustainability. I'm coming towards the end of uh, one part of my, of my trip here. In addition to the work at the United Nations, I was very anxious to meet the Irish community. So I'm very, very pleased to meet you all. And Sabine and I will have an opportunity of saying hello to you later on, I, I, I hope. I'll be speaking tomorrow at Fordham University, and I think the following, I think that's, uh, uh, that's Monday and Tuesday, then I'm at the City Library uh, in, in an open session. And, and then I return to Ireland. But I wouldn't want to return to Ireland without having meeting you and your families and so on. I do want to say as well, I've been thinking about, about these communities. Ireland has been sending people to the United States for a very long time. Shortly after the 1798 uh, uh, rebellion, there was in fact the Act of Union came in 1800 and a feeling spread through the country that the country was finished. And between about 1815 and 1845, a million Irish left. There were people who felt that they would in fact do better in the United States and elsewhere. And there were kind of people too that were able to afford the fare because from South Ulster and North Munster, they located themselves in Boston. And they in turn were quite well established when something even more important, and that was after the events of the famine in 1845 to 1847, a virtual tsunami of the Irish began to flee from hunger and to flee from many of them eviction and they came with those who many of those who had survived made it as far as the shore to go to the United States. And that was the great exodus that came after uh, that came after the famine. And it's something that we should, we, we should never forget. And they arrived and in turn uh, some of the previous ones who had been here 30 years earlier may not have welcomed all of them because they said, look, it's been tough enough, girls getting established, and now this flood is descending on top of us. But they were an extraordinary group of people, these people, because in all of the different streams of the Irish in the United States, they valued education. And we in Ireland, I think, have had experiences for the past two centuries of emigration that was sourced in hunger, poverty, and a desire to reach a better future. The desire to reach a better future is probably the 1815 to 1845 people who had actually that bit more to get going. But the people who came after 1847 in particular, I think it showed us something very important that all presidents of Ireland must always remember. By the time 1901 came and the census was made, of all the people born on the island of Ireland, more people were living outside of the island than on the island itself. So we were always, have been, in fact, a migrant people. And I think that that is very important. And whatever your personal history is, and I saw these, these lovely families and friends here, whether if you have only arrived a few days ago or a few years ago, or if your ancestors were part of those great movements that I've mentioned, and whether you have been coming over decades or centuries, the story of the Irish in New York shows something else that is terribly important. 
the Irish had made a valuable contribution to the development of their adoption form. Particularly that big second wave shows us that it teaches us how we should help others facing the same challenges among current generations. They're the values I think that, uh, for example, when Ireland is contesting the Security Council of the United Nations, these are the values that we're called upon uh, uh, to put forward. And as I, I look around the room today, I want to say first of all thank you to the Colour Party, uh, uh, for the Firefighters Emerald Society. Uh, and uh, that is something I want to say a word about. And uh, there are so many examples of people here who have given so much to their local communities, honouring the legacy and heritage of their past, while being fully committed to building their future here in the United States. When I came back for it in my first term as resident, when I was speaking in Boston about this, and I looked at some of the people who had done very well in Boston very early in the 19th century. But the most important thing afterwards was that the people who came after 1847 were people who saw. They went into a public service. They did all of the things through their, there was an emphasis on education, but they went to the fire service, the police service, they went into everything in turn that would lead in turn to their proper representation at City Hall, which they used very well. So I think that you're honouring the legacy of this past, and I think that what it was shows you is a great example too, that one was not required to forget the story of how you had come to be here while you were making a commitment to your new home in public service for the benefit of everybody. It's very interesting too where we're all required, I think at times, difficult times, to make acts of reconstruction indeed a forgiveness. I have spoken about how half my family live in the, in, in, in the United Kingdom. Happily, the other half of my family are, are, are in Ireland. But there's a very, very great writer whom, to whom we don't pay enough attention, and that's Patrick O'Sullivan, who wrote about the Irish in the United States as part of his seven-volume series on the emigration of, of the Irish. And he was mentioning that 1847 is a terrible year. That's the year when the assistance stops to the middle of the, in the middle of the famine. It's the year of the highest peak of, of the deaths. And at that stage, some people are saying, maybe the Irish deserve this. Maybe this is in fact God punishing the Irish. And those editorials appeared in the London Times. And then in the 1860, about, I think it was about 13 years after the impact of the famine, between 18, 1860, in, in that, 10 years previously to that, the Irish, in fact, were really coming their volumes to North America. And the London Times wrote a different kind of editorial. It wrote, if this goes on and is likely to go on, the United States will become very Irish. So in Ireland there will still be, but on a colossal scale, and in a new world. We shall only have pushed the Celt westward, then no longer cooped between the Liffey and the Shannon. He will spread from New York to San Francisco and keep up the ancient feud at an unforeseen advantage. We must gird our lives to encounter the nemesis, the nemesis of seven centuries misgovernment. To the end of time, a hundred million spread over the largest habitable area in the world and confronting us everywhere by sea and land, we'll remember that their forefathers paid tithes to the Protestant clergy, 
rent to the absentee landlords and a forced obedience to the laws which these had made. And thus they realized the importance that would be of the Irish who are now in places like the United States, and you would not have an independent Irish Ninth President of Ireland if in fact there had not continued to be support for Irish independence from America. And I think we're just in the, we're coming, we're in the middle actually, about midpoint, in a very important set of years of commemoration, reflecting on our centenary of independence. This year marks 100 years since the first Thal or Irish Parliament in Ireland in, in, took place in 1919. And one of their very first acts of that Thal was to agree a message to the free nations of the world, which emphasised the importance of the relationship between Ireland and the United States as we sought to make our mark as an independent nation. And that message read, Ireland is the last outpost of Europe towards the West. Ireland is the point upon which great trade routes between East and West converge. Our great harbours must be open to all nations. And in October 1919, a consulate was established here in New York, ready to bring the aspirations of the first thought to fruition. Because we knew then, as we know now, that our future, our strength and our prosperity lay in our independence being recognised in the world, being a part of the world and contributing to it. And that is why those friends of Ireland in helping to set up a consulate in New York was such a priority. It meant that we could begin to take our place among the nations of the world. And since then, in support of the United Nations as well, which we joined you know, from the very, very beginning, from our first deployment of peacekeeping troops in 1958. Not as month has gone by without Irish troops being as part of a peacekeeping mission in some part of the world where there is conflict. So the story of the Irish and the United States is no different. Because it isn't only peacekeeping and rights abroad internationally that you and your forebears defended. The story of the Irish and the United States throughout its history, from the canals and the railroads that were built to the steel mills and the laundry houses, the Irish have worked hard to contribute to the making of the United States we see today. And the Irish have always put a particular value on education and then gone on, understood that the way ahead lay in getting involved and taking part. And they always, as you have heard the Consul General say, as I have so often said, they had an agenda beyond themselves. They understood what community was, what the public world was, what public safety was, what public services were. And I need only think of the labour movement here in New York and nationally, where the Irish took leadership positions very quickly, seeing that labour in order to secure its rights had to be organised, and they pushed for improved working conditions and better treatment for workers. And that leadership throughout the United States society continues to this day. The Irish have not shied away from playing their part in shaping the political and legislative landscape. That engagement which provides such an important framework for any country. For me it's such a great pleasure to meet people who are committed to that public world beyond the self. And throughout all the hard work they never lost sight of the, their core Irishness. As I would say, the Irish language on top with the Koryaktagaskoluder, the importance that attached to cooperation and community. And those of you in this room here today are exemplary of that. 
You represent organizations and societies and families whose very reason for our existence has been to help, support, and care for others. And whether that be mutual support as members of the same profession, helping people out from your part of Ireland or providing care and advice to people living in your area, you do what you do because you care about the legacy of those who came before us and you care about a compassionate future. In my part of County Clare, they would say of somebody, nor did they would say, talking of a neighbour, they would say, he or she had great heart. In Irish, it would be the clock, and that is very, very important because all true commitments are ones that have the capacity not only to celebrate success, and it's rightly so, but also to be, it is even so much more important to recognise and respond to different vulnerabilities. There are Irish at the present time who are particularly vulnerable. I care as President of Ireland for those, and I want to show so does the, the, the Irish government. And I do think it's very, very important. Creating societies that are ethical and inclusive is a task for all our citizens of all ages and circumstances. But they can only come from communities that value ethical, the very value of ethics in solidarity that recognises the needs of all their members, including in particular those who are vulnerable and marginalised. I often think of that as well because it is just the case. I mentioned that great that million that came between 1815 and 1845. I often think of the ones sometimes, for example, around Boston. And you look at, for example, a magazine like The Irish Pilot in Boston. And in the 1850s and 60s, you'd see an ad. So-and-so, red hair, freckles, last seen, so on. That is because that big second wave of the Irish after 1847 scattered themselves throughout the United States. And they went on and turned to create whole new communities as well. And I think that it is very, very important. It is one of the realities of our present world that you can communicate with someone across the planet with the click of a button. But really, nothing like that can ever, nothing like that is, can ever be as important as knowing one's neighbor, caring for the person with whom you have, sharing that you have sharing space. I keep referring to people to say sometimes, I said, we are in the end of the day, all migrants and time. And it is perhaps a regrettable aspect of modernity somehow or another that increased technical capacity has led to a lessening, if you like, of people being, in fact, pouring out the compassion and the care uh, that is necessary. Community remains an essential component of human life, and the character of a place, its identity, and the sense of belonging and rootedness with which it provides its members are founded on the human interactions which lies at its heart. And it's very, very interesting, there were many things as well. The very person who would become the first president of Ireland, Douglas Theodore, Dr. Douglas Highland Creedon when he visited over a period of more than six months, giving lectures about the importance of the Irish language of the aging in the early part of the 20th century, he got the greatest support uh, in, in, in the United States. And so here, Amos says, President of Ireland, we appreciate very, very much what you have kept in your hearts and in your heritage and in your memories for Ireland. It is critical that we continue to build together the strong sense of community that has been an essential part of our Irishness. 
That is why we open ourselves out to the world. We as migrant people ourselves are in a position to understand the suffering of all those who are fleeing from the effects of climate change, from conflict, from internal disasters and wars and ethnic strife. And therefore, that is what I said, must always inform, as it does inform, our campaign for membership of the Security Council. So may I, as President of Ireland, thank all of those public representatives too. I was looking at those people who have helped you, who've helped previous generations who are helping Irish people now, and who will go on to be helping Irish people in the future. I thank you for your interest in things Irish, and I thank you for the support that you have given to Irish community. But most importantly, I thank you for your partnership with Irish people, who are tough people and good partners, and people who will in fact make such a continuing and effective contribution in all of the areas, as I said, of the shared public world, the world is to be available for everybody, irrespective of divisions. It's a great pleasure to have had this opportunity of coming here this afternoon and for being able to pay tribute to the contribution that you and those before you have made in terms of community and voluntary work. And also, as well as this, as a former uh, Minister for Arts and Culture in the Gertrude in Ireland, in many cases, I do want to pay tribute to those people who are working in the cultural area for all that you have done. If we have actually would have lost a great part of the Irish song tradition, the Irish music tradition, if it hadn't been for people like Chief O'Neill and others. And then there were others as well who saved Irish manuscripts. And I think that is so, so important. I thank you for your work, your, for, the, for your love of the Irish heritage, Ireland and culture and as it has been passed on to new generations. And in a way, this is so important. We are now in a new moment where some boundaries are simply not important because we have big global challenges that require global responses, such as that is responding, as I have said, to climate change and sustainability. But also, it's very, very important that we draw on the best of ourselves. And part of that best of ourselves is in the legacy of our forebears, the innate empathy that we carry with us and make it possible for us to view the present and the future uh, as a, it, with compassion. You see, I want to just say, as I finish, a few last words in Irish again. I think I, when I met uh, Queen Elizabeth II, and when I was giving my speech at Windsor Castle, I did use the phrase I said, is it is in the shadow of each other that people live. It's very interesting if you try to interpret that. Should you in fact be fearful in the shadow, or should you say it is because we are in the shadow of the same thing, that we have an opportunity for cooperation? It is very important that we interpret it entirely, as that, in, that we say, we flourish in the care and concern for each other, and in what we do together. So I'm so pleased. Translating, I am so pleased to have had this opportunity of thanking or being with you this afternoon, of being able to say these few inadequate words of recognition and to wish you every blessing and good health not on yourselves and your families and all those in your care, not only for today, but for all of the days to come. Mila Buikas, Karmila Mahogi, thank you.